If you would take your Bibles this morning and open up to the little letter that's about 93, 94% of the way through your Bible, it's a little letter entitled Galatians. It's probably only three, maybe four pages, perhaps five, I guess, depending on the font of your Bible. We're going to spend some time here in Galatians. If you were to read through your Bible, uh, you might notice when you get to the book of Galatians, uh, a shift in tone. Um, Paul does not seem to be too uh, happy, you might say, when he writes this book. Um, He's pretty frustrated. I think he's bothered. There's uh, a lot of concern on his heart. You pick this up pretty quickly um, in chapter 1. He basically calls down damnation on people or angels if they preach a different gospel. In chapter 2, he highlights that he has even called out the apostle Peter and Barnabas for being hypocrites. In chapter 3, he tells the Galatians that he feels like they they have been bewitched and they are acting as fools. So some pretty intense verbiage. This is a a polemic, this argument uh, that Paul is writing in this book. He's he's very concerned and he's very passionate about what he's writing about. And the reason is, is because what he's writing about deals with the very nature of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It deals with how a person can know they have eternal life, how they can know they have been justified. In many ways, the book of Galatians is like a mini Romans. Now, I know I just used a big word, justified, and so let's talk about that for just a moment as we approach this. I don't know uh, every person here this morning, most of you, but every person in this room has two very significant desires right now. You have have more than that, but there's two significant ones. One is a desire to be called good or acceptable, to be labeled as okay or even right. You've had this desire since you were little, right? Children have this desire. They want to be good. You are such a good boy, right? Good job. That's a no-no. That's a bad boy or a bad girl. Don't do that. You need to be a a good boy or a good girl. And and there's this desire to be labeled as good. It's there and it's there all the time. It grows with you, right? So into, you know, elementary school and then into high school and college and then your workplace. In many ways, you could say it's There's various cultures in which we learn to try and be good. In fact, every culture is a little bit different. Your family culture is probably different than your school culture, right? So there are some things in your family that you don't do because if you do them, you will be labeled bad, right? But there are lots of things that maybe if you do, you're labeled good. And so you try to do this. You try to become, you try to be the good one, right? The one who's labeled good. 
The rebel is the one who thinks that everybody's metrics are off, <laughs> and therefore I'm going to you know, ditch everybody's set of good versus bad and create my own, right? There's another problem, though. That's one desire. We all have a desire to be called good, but we also all have a desire to be free and do whatever we want. Now, do you see how there's conflict here, right? We all have a desire to be free and to do what we like. Nobody likes to be coerced. Nobody likes to be forced into a box. Nobody likes that. We want to be free to do what we like. And so now the game is afoot, right? As a child, you push every boundary. Can I do this because I want to without being called bad, yet still getting what I want? And you know what? We play that game our whole life, don't we? Could even be that at work, you know that the atmosphere and the culture at your work, you can do certain things, and if you do all the things you should, you are a good employee, and your reviews, when they come up, they, they, they high marks. And yet, you try to do what you want to do while still getting those good marks, right? I mean, we've all been to the restaurant where the, the waiter, it wasn't really that good a service, I mean, it was, it was maybe even pretty pathetic, And then at the end, they hand you a little piece of paper and they say, hey, do me a favor and give me five stars. You're like, okay. You want five stars, but you didn't really want to work hard for it. That's how we live. This is in some ways a little picture of this word, justification. We want to be declared as good or declared right. But in God's world, we can't play the game according to our rules. We have to play according to his. And the thing is, is he sees everything. So while as a child, you were able to slip past the parents' radar, and in school, you could stay under the the dean's radar by making sure you did everything you needed to, to, to keep the marks you needed. And at work, your boss thinks you're great. God actually knows everything that goes on. He sees into your heart, and he knows the desires of your heart. And the reality is, is all of us fall way short of being good. In fact, the Bible says, there is none good. No, not even one. And so when it comes to being declared right, None of us can be declared right on the basis of our performance. And that's where this word justification comes in because what Paul is emphasizing in the book of Galatians is that you cannot earn a high rating from God based on your performance. You can't earn acceptance. It has to be given to you by grace. Not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of another's performance. Jesus. And that is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who is God, came to this earth and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He stored up, as it were, a heap of righteousness, limitless righteousness. And then he substituted himself for you. He took on your badness, your ineptness, 
your inability to please God and to live up to the perfect standard. And then he paid for the, the judgment of that by dying on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave and now he offers to all this righteousness. He offers it as a gift. To any who believe, he gives his righteousness. And then based on that gift of righteousness, God declares you good. You are right. You are accepted. You are okay. That is justification. That is what this book is all about. Paul is reminding the Galatians that the most important thing is whether or not they have been justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and that they are not returning back to a performance-driven mindset. Because we all tend that way. We all tend to like the checklist, right? So, I know I'm still in my introduction, but... Bear with me. We don't have time to go through the whole book, so I've got to build it here, okay? Growing up, there was a question that a preacher would ask that bothered me. It was an evaluation question. The preacher would say this, are you walking with God? And I didn't know how to answer that question. And I struggled with that question. If you asked me, are you walking with God, I'd say, uh... I don't know. Let me, let me think about it. And then what would I do? I'd immediately go to my checklist of items that equal good person. Do I read my Bible? Okay. Check. Do I pray for more than just meals? Check-ish. Um, do you honor your parents? Sometimes, half a check, okay? And, and I, I would go through the checklist in my mind, and, and depending on how I had done that day, that week, that month, then my answer to you would be, well, I think so, or eh, I don't think so. And that's how I viewed walking with God. Walking with God was a performance-oriented thing. So do you... Are you, are you right with God, people might say. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think so, maybe. And I just, I just had this very nebulous idea of what it meant to walk with Jesus, to walk with God. Well, this is what's happening in Galatia. Because what's happening is there are some Jews who didn't want to see Christianity as an entirely separate thing from Judaism. They wanted it to be kind of a sect of Judaism. And so they were okay with Christianity as long as it still held up with the Torah and you know, they maintained all those things and people were, basically became cultural Jews. If they would do that, then Christianity was okay. It was kind of a sect of Judaism. The problem is Christianity is not a sect of Judaism. Okay? It's very different. And so these believers had come into the church at Galatia and they were beginning to say that you need to perform. You need to do some certain things in order to have a right relationship with God. 
In order to be God's child, in order to be justified, and in order to live a holy life, you needed to perform and do certain tasks and do certain things. And Paul gets pretty riled up about that. He says, no, that is not how this works. So, the burden of the book of Galatians becomes my burden for us this morning. And that is twofold. I want to show you from this book that walking in the Spirit or walking with God is the only way to live the Christian life. Walking in the Spirit, and we're gonna, we'll talk about this, right? I want to expand that for you so it doesn't just stay nebulous, right? Walking in the Spirit, that seems kind of mystical and strange. Walking in the Spirit is the only way to live the Christian life. But then secondly, I want to show you what that looks like, okay? So, walking in the Spirit is the only way to live the Christian life. And then we're going to look at what that looks like, okay? All right, let's see if this thing's working. Okay, so first of all, walking in the Spirit is the only way to live the Christian life. Specifically in this context, Paul is going to be comparing legalism or living by law versus living by faith in the Spirit, in what the Spirit has done and what God has done, okay? And so I have here two different ways of living. You could live by law or you could live by the Spirit. And I want you to know something, that if you live by law, it's enslaving, Galatians says. It's impossible, Romans says. We're going to cheat and go to Romans for a split second. Galatians says the same thing. But, and it's also damning, Galatians says. Okay? So let's look at that really quickly. It's enslaving, it's impossible, it's damning. Look at chapter 4. Verse 8, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What's, what's he getting at here? He's saying, hey, some of you, you're, you're returning back to this law mindset that you somehow have to keep these certain days and months and seasons and you've got to live by this, this system. He's like, that's, that's enslaving. You're, you're re- returning back to bondage. Look at 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a what? A yoke of slavery. The law is actually enslaving, okay? Do you remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to, do, to go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, keep, keep the law. And he's like, great, I've done it. Well, what did Jesus say next? He demonstrated to the rich young ruler that not only had he not kept the law, but he didn't even want to. <laughs> he didn't even want to. He loved his riches. He loved his stuff. It's enslaving. Now, if you would flip over backwards to Romans, I want to show you that it's impossible. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is actually a very parallel passage to Galatians chapter 5. So if you ever want a really fun read, 
where you can learn a lot. Go compare Romans 8 and Galatians 5 together. Read through those sections. So here in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we find out this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Did you catch that? It can't submit to God's law. Your flesh cannot submit itself to God's law. And yet we try to live that way. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is going to cause us to, we've got to stop for just a moment and define another word, flesh. All right? Flesh, what, what does it sound like? Well, it sounds like, you know, flesh. Um, whenever I hear the word flesh, I think of Lord of the Rings, man flesh, right? Okay, this idea of, it's, there's, phys- there's a physical element to it, okay? It's connected to your skin, but it's not just your skin, all right? It's, it's actually, you're, you're, it's a whole set of desires. Your flesh has its own desires, and we'll see that in just a moment. The flesh, you might say, is this. It's your unredeemed humanness. Okay, so prior to salvation, you're actually dominated by it. Okay, once you become a believer and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God gives you power over it. You no longer have to serve it. Now you have power over it through the Spirit, but it's still there. Okay, you have one, I have one, and one thing we know about it from Scripture is it does not like rules. It does not, does not like law. How many of you love rules and laws? Okay? Right. None of us do. Okay? The teenage boy who's going to the trash can to take out the trash because he, you know, he woke up on the right side of the bed that morning. He's feeling good. He goes to the trash can. He's getting ready to take it out. And his mom kind of yells from the top of the steps and kind of commands him, take out the trash. What happens in that little teen boy's heart? All of a sudden he's like, I don't want to anymore. I was going to until you said so. None of us like law. We don't like being told what to do. You cannot get your flesh to submit to God. It can't. It won't. So it's interesting then that some of us tend towards a legalistic mindset where we want to impose law on us as if it will make us better, as if it will sanctify us. We try to live by law. That is, Paul says that is not how you live the Christian life. It's enslaving, it's impossible, and it's damning. Go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith them. If you say, I am going to live by law, the law is going to be what is going to be how I evaluate myself, it's going to be how I live, then you will be damned by the law. Because if you say, if if you, basically if you say, I'm going to live according to law, then, well, it becomes your master. And according to Paul in Romans, the law was given to actually heap up guilt. 
to help you realize you can't. It's impossible to live for God based on the law. Now, that's not the law's fault. The law is good. It's, it's our fault. It's our flesh's issue. We got an issue, okay? It's called the fallen human, human part of us, all right? All right, so if trying to live by law is impossible. It's enslaving, it's impossible, and ultimately, it's damning if that's how we're going to live. But living by the Spirit is different. It's freeing, it's enabling, and it's rewarding. And I want, I want you to see this. Back to chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Hmm. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you right now, what are we free from? A lot of you would think in terms of some of the songs we just sang that we are free from sin. How many of you agree? You can, okay. <laughs> yes, okay, we are free from sin. But in the context here, he's actually saying you're free from law. You're free from having to have a relationship with God based on performance, based on law. You're free from that. Wow, it's liberating. There's, there's no code of, of, of conduct that you have to, you know, attain to in order to, to have a relationship with God. That's not how it works. Because if, if we go there, remember, we're enslaved, we're guilty, we're damned, it's impossible. So, so we don't have, we, we set that aside in one sense. God set it aside because Jesus came and actually did it all perfectly because we can't. But we're free. We're free from that. It's also enabling. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. Actually, let's let's look at, I want to look at 2 through 6. We'll read that whole little section there. It's very much going to reinforce what we've just discussed, okay? Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Jump to verse 13. For brothers, you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, I know, I, I want to help us make sure we make this connection, okay? There is a very strong connection between freedom and love, Okay? If you grew up in a home that was very performance-driven, then you will understand this very clearly. It is hard to love when you're constantly evaluating yourself. If you know you're going to be judged, held to a very tight standard, and only accepted if you pass, then there's usually just one person you are thinking about, and it's you. Because you're constantly wondering, am I doing it 
well enough? Am I good enough? Have I passed? Do I need to upgrade? What, what do I need to do in order to make so-and-so happy with me? Okay, that's a toxic relationship that happens in marriages, happens in parenting, happens in cultures, okay? But when the individual knows that he's loved or that she's loved, there's freedom to grow. There's freedom now to not be concerned with self, but rather concerned about other people because you already know you're accepted. Does that make sense? So here we have this freedom. The performance is set aside. We are not under the law, we're under grace. We live by faith, not by the works of the law. And because of that, we are accepted by God who says, you are beloved, you are called. You're my called ones. And now you're free to love. Now you're free to love without thought of whether or not you are performing well enough because you know that Jesus already performed for you. And so walking in the spirit, this type of living is actually enabling. It enables you to love, to make choices of love towards God and love towards other people. That's what walking in the spirit will do. It will enable you to live a life of love. But it's also rewarding. It's very rewarding. If you look at chapter six, chapter six, verse seven says this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. If You will faithfully do this. Walking in the Spirit. We're going to talk, we'll we'll, we'll describe that in just a moment. It is very rewarding. Because what happens is you begin to harvest the fruit of the Spirit. You begin to see God's fruit and His character beginning to evidence itself in your life. If you sow love, you reap love. You sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit. So, living by law is enslaving, it's impossible, and it's damning. But living by the Spirit is freeing, enabling, and rewarding. So, this brings me to our final question. So, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And for the rest of the time, we're going to basically look at verses 16 down to verse 25. Verse 16 down to verse 25 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This verse is what drew me to this passage. I mean, it just like sucked me in. You know why? Because I hated my sin. I hated my flesh. And I had employed all sorts of tactics to deal with it. And I hated the fact that I kept stumbling in sin and sin and sin. And this passage says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And when it says you will not, it's, just kind of, it's not like, oh yeah, you won't, you won't do that so much. 
Literally, it's this. You will not know never. It's, and it, it's emphatic, right? It's bold. It's highlighted. When you are walking in the Spirit, you will not be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so I was drawn to this verse, and I said, okay, whatever that is, <laughs> whatever walking in the Spirit is, I want it. I want that in my life, whatever that is. And so do you know what question I asked Paul? All right, Paul, tell me how to do it. Tell me how to do this. And you know what? He denied my request. (laughs) Because if he told you how to do it and gave you a checklist, guess what you do? You turn it into law. It's what you do. If he gave you a checklist, you'd turn it into a checklist, and now you have a place for boasting. And when there's boasting and self-righteousness, well, now there's judgment and criticism, and, and there's posturing and division within the church, right? Biting and devouring one another, is what verse 14 says. So Paul doesn't do it. He doesn't tell you, like, like how to do it. Instead, he actually tells you why it works. He's like, let me tell you why this works, Look at the next verse. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, do you catch that? The desires of the spirit are in opposition to the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the flesh are in opposition to the spirit. In other words, you can't be in the North Pole and the South Pole at the same time. So you're either walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh. You won't love your neighbor and steal from him at the same time. Won't happen. You won't love your boss and lie on your reports at the same time. You can't. They're they're polar opposites. This is why Paul says, by the way, this is why this works. Because if you're actually walking in the Spirit, if you're living according to the Spirit, you won't be in your flesh. You can't be. It's it's absolutely impossible. So this is why he can say with such confidence, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, he just kind of draws this out even more. Okay, verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so being led by the Spirit does not, does not put you back into that box of law, okay? It doesn't put you back in that realm of impossible living, okay? But now look what he does, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, okay? They're self-evident. And he says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list. But he says the works of the flesh. Now, how many of you have a flesh? All of you raise your hand. You know what that means? All of you got that stuff. Because that's the works of the flesh. So don't like try to pretend you don't have that junk. That, that's there. That's you. That's me. That's our flesh. Okay? We have it. And that's the issue we're talking about. We want to live a, a life where we, we don't do that. 
But he's, he's drawing a very stark contrast here. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. Do they sound like they're at all related? No. They are totally different. So what does this look like? Well, let's just take some of these words and highlight what they mean. Now you're going to see all of it at once because I, don't, I didn't do the whole like, uh, you know, animation thing. First of all, notice he says, but I say walk by the Spirit. He uses the word walk. Okay, and this is intentional. He doesn't say run, jump, skip, hop, fly. He says walk. Why? Well, because walking is something that we're all familiar with. It's something that we all have to do every day. If we're going to go anywhere from point A to point B, what are we going to end up having to do? At some point, we're going to have to walk. Take one step after another. This highlights the moment-by-moment nature of walking in the Spirit. Whatever walking in the Spirit is and whatever it looks like, it looks like a daily moment-by-moment plotting. Choice after choice after choice after choice. Do you realize that between waking up and now, you have made hundreds of choices? Hundreds of them. You say, really? I just just picked my breakfast. (laughs) Yeah, you have. Glances, thoughts, motives, everything. We've made a, we have made hundreds of choices this morning. And every one of those moments is a moment to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. Walking. It is a moment by moment thing. And this is really hard for those of us who tend towards legalistic ideas because here's what we want. We want to have a secret sauce in the morning mixed with our coffee and devotions so that we sit down and we drink our coffee. We have our secret sauce in there. It's called spiritual sauce and we drink it and then we're good for the day, right? I am spiritual for the day because I read my Bible and I prayed and I drank my coffee and I even did it in a really cool way and I took a picture. Um, And that is how we think of spiritual things is as long as I do those certain things and set my trajectory in the morning correctly then I'm going to be good for the day. Nope. Grace right now is not grace for the next moment. It's grace for now. And God gives you all the grace you need in every moment. You can't rely on this morning's choices to walk in the Spirit to get you through the conflict this afternoon that you're going to have. You actually need to make choices moment by moment to walk in the Spirit. So it's this moment-by-moment plotting daily thing. Now, once again, I really struggled with this because I thought that there there could be like this plane, this spiritual plane that I could somehow attain to by reading my Bible enough, meditating enough, praying enough, etc. And if I did enough really good things, I could somehow advance, break through that plane, and then I'd be on a new place spiritually, not struggling with all the sins, not struggling with my flesh. And man, it'd be awesome. And I'd be like all the spiritual heroes that I looked up to that I thought never sinned. That's not how it works. It's a moment-by-moment decision. But it's also moment-by-moment in faith. If you look back at chapter 2. 
Over and over, we find out that this is by faith. Verse 15 of chapter 2, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No one can be justified. In chapter 3, the whole like bewitching idea. He, he, says, he says, hey, did you forget? Did you get saved by works of the law or by faith? I think all of us would answer, well, by faith. And then he says this, okay, so are you made mature? Are you made perfect? By working then or by faith is the idea. It's by faith. The same way you got saved is the same way you're going to walk. And it's by faith. So moment by moment in faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting that what God says, he's going to do. Faith is trusting God's word and living accordingly. God, you said you're going to do this, so I'm, I'm going to do this. So you do, you do need to know God's word to walk in the spirit. In fact, I, I would say this. If you don't know the Bible at all, you don't know any of God's word, it will be very difficult for you to walk in the Spirit. Does this mean that you've got to read your Bible 30 minutes every day in order to walk in the Spirit? No. I mean, think about the early Christians. They didn't even know how to read. Right? They never read their Bibles. They just listened to it. They listened to somebody once a week or, or two or three times a week. And they'd hear it. They'd say, I believe that. And so I'm going to live that way. There was no checklist. So, moment by moment, in faith, and then look, look again at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 17. You've got two choices on the shelf, okay? You either are going to do God's desires, or you're going to do your own fleshly desires. Which one will you do? There's the choices, right? If you're going to, make the, if you're going to live in faith, then you'll take God at his word, and you'll choose the Spirit's desires, and you'll follow those desires, if you're not going to live in faith, then you're actually going to choose the fleshly desires and you'll live according to the flesh. But those are the two choices in front of you. So moment by moment, you have a choice. Will I yield myself to do the desires of God in faith or do the desires of my flesh? Those are the choices. Moment by moment, in faith, yielding oneself to the desires of the spirit as opposed to the desires of the flesh. Which produces a fruit-filled life? You could say it this way, which consistently results in choices of love towards God and love towards other people. So what does walking in the spirit look like? A moment by moment walking. Where there is fellowshipping with God and knowing what he wants for you. Because you spend time with him praying. You spend time with him talking. Reading his word. And you now know how you should treat your spouse. You know how you should honor and obey your parents. You know how you should work at, at work. You know all of these things. And, and it's not just in your brain. You believe them to be the best things. You believe them to be the beautiful way of living. And so you yield yourself to the Spirit's desires. And as you do that, and don't grow weary in doing it, you reap life.
know, there is a warning that I skipped over that I need to highlight. After going through the works of the flesh, he says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that, they, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does this mean? <laughs> does this mean if I slip up, if I mess up, if I stumble, if I fall, that, that, that I, I'm damned again? I, wait, I thought this was freeing. <laughs> now I'm back to the checklist. Oh, no. No, no, no. The idea here is this. If the Spirit of God is inside of you, which he is, and there's other passages, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but you receive the Spirit by faith, chapter 3, verse 2. If the Spirit indwells you, then his desires are in you. You have a new set of desires. Okay? A desire to love God, to honor God, to do his will. Those are in you because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, working his desires into you. If, however, the way you live your life shows that you don't have desires towards the Spirit or the desires of the Spirit, but rather you make the choices and lifestyle habits to constantly just yield to your flesh, then the reality is there's no life in you. There's no life in you. And that's what he's saying. He doesn't say, if you slip up once. And you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know it's not just if you slip up once? Well, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Do you see this? There's this community that that comes in here. So here's the reality, guys and girls. As we walk day by day, guess what's going to happen? Invariably, we are going to stumble we will fall. We will trip up into transgression. Guess who is supposed to be there to help you? Your brother or sister who's walking in the spirit. It says you who are spiritual. The idea is not like the elite. You know, it doesn't mean the pastors are the ones that confront. The pastors are the ones that pull people out of ditches. No, it's you who are walking beside them. You're walking along with them. They tripped up. You see them. You see them in the, in the, on the, in the gutter. You say, hey, let me help you. Let me remind you of the desires of God. Let me remind you of the truths of Scripture. Hey, look at this. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done for you. Let's get back up. Let's go this way. That's what a brother and sister does. Two weeks later, this one trips. And guess what? The one who's spiritual, who's there with him, should help him up. This is, this is walking with God. It's what, it's what believers do. They moment by moment in faith, yield themselves to do the desires of God as opposed to the desires of the flesh, which consistently will result in choices of love towards God and love towards other people. And they do it within the community of believers to help one another to live a life where they're submitted to and walking with God. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. So walking in the Spirit is the only way to live the Christian life. And what it looks like is moment by moment, in faith, yielding oneself to do the desires of God as opposed to the desires of the flesh, which produces a fruit-filled life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, temperance, goodness, faith. Are those in your life? Do you see those growing and being produced by the Spirit? This is walking with Jesus. So walking with Jesus doesn't have to be some nebulous, I just don't know, I just don't know. Are you yielding yourself right now to do God's desires? Or are you yielding yourself to the flesh? Are you walking in faith? Or have you slipped back into performance-driven living? Be careful. If you live by the law, you'll be judged by the law. But if you live by the Spirit, there's life, liberty, freedom. Let's be a church that walks in the Spirit towards one another, in our relationships, in our social media stuff. Let's walk in the Spirit. Make right choices. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text that so clearly lays out for us what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I thank you that you have given us this guarantee that if we will walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of our flesh. Lord, that is hope. That is confidence. Not in ourselves, but rather in the Spirit of God. I thank you for the life we have in him. I pray you'd help us, moment by moment, to be repenting of sin if we go that way, and to yield ourselves in faith to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.